Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. What could a peace deal possibly look like between Russia and Ukraine? It's hard to imagine, which makes it easy to imagine a war that goes on. Negotiators did meet today at a palace in Istanbul, and Ukrainian negotiators emerged saying that enough information is now on the table that in their view, it's time for the presidents of Russia and Ukraine to meet. They're now awaiting the official Russian response. This is the first set of talks in weeks. Since the last round, Russia has failed to take Kyiv and Ukraine has taken back some suburbs. Russia has talked of a new focus on eastern Ukraine where it already controls some territory. Ukrainians say they fear a plan to divide their country a little like North and South Korea. Andrew Weiss of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace has been watching the Russian movements. What case, if any, could Russia make for eating up the eastern part of Ukraine? Well, there's no case to be made. This is a sovereign country, and at the end of the day, the problem for Vladimir Putin is he simply can't accept an independent Ukraine on his borders. The immediate challenge for the Ukrainians is that the Russians, by virtue of geographical proximity, by virtue of where their military forces are concentrated, have the ability to cut off Ukrainian troops that are operating in the Donbass. And if that happens, if they're encircled, that's a really dangerous predicament for the Ukrainian side. Yeah, I've been looking at a map and you can see the distance between Kyiv, the capital where they're defending, and of course the Donbass, which is far to the east. And the idea is, could the Russians get in between them? Let's talk about the population, though. Is there a significant demographic difference or historical difference between the eastern part of the country and the western part? So Ukraine is a mosaic. And Vladimir Putin has tried to portray that as suggesting that it's not a real country and that it's been cobbled together over various decades. Um, I don't think that's true. What you have seen in Ukraine, though, is a transformative moment. And that transformative moment came in 2014 when Russia invaded the country. And so a lot of those geographical or regional divisions were erased by virtue of the unifying presence of a Russian invasion. So, yes, there are parts of Ukraine in the eastern section where there's a heavy sort of post-industrial economy, there's a greater level of Russification that occurred in the Soviet era, but the majority of the population has looked at what Russia has done since 2014 with total horror, and they're the people who today are rejecting Russia's claim that Russia should rule that part of the country. Are you telling me that if Ukraine ever was not a country, Vladimir Putin has made it a country? Absolutely. It changed the outlook of its people, and it basically made it impossible for a pro-Russian leadership ever to hold sway in Kyiv. And that's the, the buzzsaw that Vladimir Putin walked into on February 24th. I'm trying to figure out how there can ever be a peace agreement at this point, given that effectively there has been a war for about eight years now, and Russians are sitting on territory, including Crimea, which they say they've annexed, that they'll never give back, and Ukrainians are saying, we cannot agree to a peace deal that compromises our sovereignty or gives away land. Exactly. So the prospect of peace is, is I think, a very dim one at this point. There's a horrible humanitarian tragedy unfolding across Ukraine, and then there's a remarkable story of resistance, both from the Ukrainian military and from average people who have taken up arms to defend their country. 
I don't see any Ukrainian leader being able to sit at a table across from Vladimir Putin, offer up significant chunks of their territory, give up parts of their sovereignty, and as Putin wants, basically give away their ability to defend themselves from such an invasion in the future. How do you see the future of the war then? I think we're going to see the conflict begin to morph and resemble the Bosnia War of the 1990s, but on a much vaster scale. So the people who are listening to your program today should be prepared for this conflict to go on. And unfortunately, for the humanitarian toll and the suffering of civilians to go uh, to continue into the coming months, if not years. Sorry to hear it, but thanks for the insights, Mr. Weiss. Great to be here. Andrew Weiss is Vice President for Studies at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Okay, so if we're preparing for a long war, U.S. allies in Europe face a long period of vigilance. The NATO alliance is building up its forces not to be involved directly in Ukraine, but to defend NATO territory. And this week, the allies have been staging military exercises not far from Russia in far northern Norway. NPR's Quill Lawrence has been observing and spoke with Rachel Martin. Quill, uh, this, as I understand it, it was a pre-planned set of exercises, but obviously, I mean, there's so much symbolism involved here, right? Right. Over the weekend, I spoke with uh, U.S. Marine Corps General Anthony Henderson, who commands the U.S. element here in Norway, and he described the scenario that this war game is acting out, which happens every two years. Hypothetical mission is to counter an invasion of Norway, to counter that uh, force. And what do you want that force, which may or may not be Russia in the future, to see when they watch this exercise? We don't want just that force. We want anyone who would uh, take on a defensive alliance like NATO to understand that it is prepared to defend all of its members unequivocally. Ah, So he's being very careful there. Hey, it's not just about Russia, but I mean, clearly it is. Is there any sign Russia is taking notice? Well, I was interviewing him aboard this Italian aircraft carrier, which is here for the exercise, and the captain of that ship, Marcello Grivelli, said that the Russian Navy is watching them from just over the horizon. They are just outside the Norwegian territorial waters. Their behavior is professional. They are not uh, seeking any uh, escalation, so they are doing what they normally do in this kind of situation, where they just observe. Hmm. So what exactly is Russia observing? I mean, what is NATO showcasing? Or or maybe what are they trying to learn from these exercises? Well, they're showing off a lot of weapons that Ukraine would love to have right now. Anti-aircraft systems, artillery, anti-tank weapons. But Norway is nothing like where the U.S. and NATO forces have been fighting for the past 20 years. It's all up here. It's fjords and snowstorms. The, the camouflage people wear is white instead hmm. of green. We saw it go from 10 miles perfectly clear visibility, a complete whiteout on that ship over the weekend. And looming over all of this is the fact that four U.S. Marines died when their aircraft crashed this month. Uh, And it's not clear whether the weather was a factor in that, but it definitely hampered the search and rescue. Why, Quill, is this big exercise happening in Norway? I mean, does anyone expect to be fighting in the Arctic? Um, I mean, that's what this exercise is meant to deter. Um, We spoke with, um, I mean, and Russia also seems to have its hands completely full in Ukraine right now, but but the war is definitely being felt up here. Um, It's stressing Norway's long history of coexistence with Russia. Mm -hmm. We spoke actually to the Norwegian prime minister, Yunish Garstera, over the weekend during this exercise, and here's here's how he described it. We have been at peace with Russia for a thousand years. We live next to the world's most important nuclear weapons arsenal. 
which has called for what I call high north low tension. What does that mean, high north low tension? Well, for all over all of these years, uh, Norway has been right on the doorstep, even during the worst moments of the Cold War. Um, and Russia has a huge uh, nuclear navy up here. Now, part of that, those ships are actually down supporting the fight in Ukraine right now. So there doesn't seem to be an immediate question. But um, there are all sorts of uh, new resources opening up up here in the Arctic, energy resources, which are all the more precious uh, as the prices of fuel go up worldwide. There are a lot of places where uh, people are afraid that Russia could start uh, pushing little boundaries or, or making little bits of expansion, mm -hmm. much as they did in Ukraine you know, in 2014, and the world didn't really take much notice. So Norway doesn't want to provoke. NATO uh, says they don't want to provoke, but they just want to make sure Russia doesn't think that there's any sort of soft target up here. Quill Lawrence is reporting from Norway on these NATO exercises. We will hear more of his reporting later this week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rachel. This is State of Ukraine. Sean Saldana produced and Kelly Dickens edited. I'm Stephen Skeep. This is NPR News. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Is it possible to engineer our way out of the climate crisis? Some entrepreneurs want to shoot particles into the stratosphere to combat global warming. Experts say regulations on this technology aren't keeping up. The world of solar geoengineering on the latest episode of The Sunday Story from NPR's Up First podcast. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.